0: Today on the show, have the Seahawks cracked the running back code? I'm going to tackle that issue. It's the talk of the league right now. Big name running backs threatening to hold out, threatening to sit out the entire year, getting together on Zoom calls to try to figure out how to fix the salary issue when it comes to running backs. But the Seahawks might be ahead of the curve when it comes to this. We're going to talk about that today on the show. You're listening to Seahawks Forever. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever Podcast. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viens. Welcome back, everybody. We are now just uh, about 24 hours away from the start of Seahawks training camp as I record this. We got a lot to get into uh, after tomorrow. Camp battles, rookie performances, how that defensive line is going to come together. Uh, if you didn't catch the show that I posted yesterday with Brandon Schultz and Dana O'Gorman, my former uh, cohorts from field goals, definitely check that out. I think we dove into some areas of the roster that uh, haven't been talked about a lot and kind of set us up so that we're ready for training camp. Uh, one area where the Seahawks have no concerns this year, as far as the roster goes, that a lot of other NFL teams are wrestling with right now is the running back position. And... Um, This has been a big topic for the last couple of weeks and really leading up to this year uh, and kind of coming to a head with some of the big names that are at the end of their rookie deals, looking for big second deals, looking to get paid. Um, I'm going to touch on this and just kind of set the stage for the landscape and what it looks like and how it affects the Seahawks and how they may have sort of gotten ahead of this um, in a way that set them up for the next couple of years. And we don't have to worry about this. Like some of the other teams are with some of their big name running backs. Uh, before I get into this topic though, be sure to hit that like button. And, uh, if you like what I do here, subscribe to the channel, closing in on 2000 subscribers on YouTube. That's a big number, a big goal for me. I'd really appreciate you helping me to get there. And it's the best way to keep up on things and not ever miss a notification as we head into the heart of the season. So there are really three big names uh, and and then a fourth kind of on the periphery that have driven this running back topic. And this has been building for years and we know it, it has impacted the Seahawks because the Seahawks have taken some grief from the analytic community and that section of the community that believes that shouldn't invest too much in running backs, shouldn't pay them a bunch of money shouldn't draft them very high because they're easy to come by and the way modern offenses are created, they're not as dependent on elite talent at that position. What that's done is depress the salaries of the elite talent. And the Seahawks have taken some of that heat because they've spent high draft capital the last two years in a row on running backs. It was one thing to draft Kenneth Walker the third last year, even though they had a second second round pick to play with. Took a lot of criticism for taking a running back that high. And then they turned around and did it again this year. Again, a second, second round pick. And then they doubled down in the seventh round, took Kenny McIntosh. So three running backs, uh, Walker in his second year, and then and two other rookies making up three-fourths of that running back room with DJ Dallas, who was drafted in 2020. The big names that are I was going to say on the market. They're not on the market yet, but the ones that are trying to leverage their position, Saquon Barkley, the New York Giants, uh, Josh Jacobs, Las Vegas Raiders. I see I said Las Vegas there, not Oakland. I'm getting it. And Tony Pollard of the Dallas Cowboys. Now, Pollard wasn't a first-round pick, so the fifth-year option was taken off the table. But now these guys are at the end of their rookie deals. Um, In different ways, though, Barkley's fifth-year option was exercised, so he's at the end of that contract now. Jacobs was not. Both players were franchise-tagged, as was Pollard. The franchise-tag value of running backs, and this is kind of where we're getting into the issue now just over $10 million. So that's a guaranteed number. If the New York Giants were to release Saquon Barkley, uh, because he he's going to hold out for the season, uh, they would owe him $10.09 million. Just to put that in perspective, as the salary cap has risen over the years, and as other position franchise tag values have risen with it, Running backs have stagnated. The $10.09 million franchise tag value of running backs in the NFL right now is the lowest non-kicker tag value in the league of all the positions other than punter and kicker. Running back is the lowest franchise tag value. Think about that for a minute. As a football fan, just... Thinking about what your team's gonna look like on the field this year. Running back's a big deal, right? Who's gonna be toting the rock? How good is he? And as volatile as that position is physically because they take such a beating, how good is his backup? How deep is my team at running back? I know many, many of you play fantasy football. And what's the biggest priority? Getting your running backs. Because the bell cows are hard to find. The guys that get 20, 25 touches and are good enough to justify it are hard to find. Now, interestingly enough, that plays into the argument of why the value of running backs has come down. Because offenses has evolved. It's become a passing league, Right quarterbacks are throwing the ball 50 times they're not handing it to guys 25 times anymore they're certainly not handing it to one guy that many times those players are rare the ones that are next level or the ones that are heavily involved in the passing game and are versatile in that way have gotten paid in recent years christian mccaffrey alvin Kamara, derrick henry Nick Chubb, those are your four highest paid running backs in the league. McCaffrey, average annual value of 16 million a year. Kamara, fifteen. Henry, 12.5. Chubb, 12.2. If you can hear it in the background, it's fitting that right now an ambulance would go by. Because one of the reasons teams are reluctant to pay these guys is because of the pounding they take right? They get hurt a lot. What was the knock on Christian McCaffrey after, after he was paid in Carolina? If you've owned him in fantasy football over the last two or three years, you know, I have, I've gotten burned by it. Alvin Kamara has battled injury. Derrick Henry was remarkably durable, but has started to show signs of vulnerability the last couple of years. Nick Chubb for a guy who had a major knee injury In college has been remarkably durable so those guys are rare their argument is hey what we do is in some ways harder than what anyone else on the field does because every time we touch the ball we know we're getting hit And they think that that value isn't being compensated fairly enough around the league. What teams are saying and starting to recognize and demonstrate in the way they spend their money is, A, we don't hand you the ball as often as we used to. A lot more running back by committee approaches around the league. And B, There are just a lot of talented running backs coming out of college every year. And these guys are more versatile because of the proliferation of the spread offense and how much colleges are throwing the football now, using the running backs more in the passing game. Here's an example. So McCaffrey, high draft pick, right? Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, high draft pick. but this is kind of where the teams are coming from. Here's a list of second round running back draft picks in the last couple of years. Not even, not even including Kenneth Walker, Zach Charbonnet of your own Seattle Seahawks. Jonathan Taylor. Now he's kind of the next guy. He's going to be watching this, right? Because next year, he's going to be the guy looking for a new deal. But this goes, if you go back, if you kind of look at the last seven or eight years, Clinton Portis, second round pick, Matt Forte, Maurice Jones Drew, Le'Veon Bell, LaShawn McCoy, Joe Mixon, Ray Rice, Derek Henry, Dalvin Cook. Kind of another poster child for this argument, released by the Vikings. He's 27 years old, I think now, right? still unsigned, released by the Vikings in the prime of his career, coming off a mostly healthy year, still a free agent. Can't find a job, at least not one that he thinks pays fair value. And then a couple of bonus names, Alvin Kamara, David Johnson, Kareem Hunt, third round picks. You'll get Damian Pierce in the Houston, Texas last year, fourth round pick. Again, I think the poster child for all of this is, is Christian McCaffrey. Dynamic, running and catching. You saw what a difference he made with the 49ers. Very productive player, but also shows how volatile the position is. If you're going to devote that much of the cap to a running back, and he's not going to be available to you. Teams have kind of figured this out. So what if some of these players start to do about it? Well, Saquon Barkley said he's prepared to sit out the year. He has already said, he's basically, you can plan on me missing preseason, training camp preseason. Josh Jacobs has left the Raiders. He's left Las Vegas. He has said he is prepared to sit out the year. Tony Pollard's in a little little different boat. He's a guy that he's coming off an injury, first of all. He's a guy that played back up to Ezekiel Elliott, another big-name veteran running back, released because he was making too much money by the Cowboys. They were willing to take the dead cap hit to save the cap. By releasing him, still unsigned. Pollard kind of had to wait his turn and fight for his chance, and now he gets a chance to be the guy with Elliott out of town. So, you know, a little different situation for him, probably going to see him on the field. How does this apply now to the Seahawks then? Well, when you look at their running back room, as we mentioned, Kenneth Walker, second round pick last year. Won't be a free agent until 2026. Zach Charbony, second round pick this year. Won't be a free agent until 2027, as will Kenny McIntosh. 2027. DJ Dallas will be a free agent after this year, but he's probably talent-wise, not role-wise. Role, he'll probably, he's probably the... Th- Third running back in that room, talent-wise, I'd put him behind McIntosh. He's fourth. Here's their salaries: Walker, one point nine million. Charbonnet hasn't signed yet; probably will in the next forty-eight hours. Likely, looking at the other contracts around his draft position, is going to sign for around one point two million. Kenny McIntosh, uh, seven hundred seventy thousand, and DJ Dallas, one point one million. So combined for those four running backs. You're talking about a $5 million total cap hit for four running backs. That's 2% of the current cap. You compare that to McCaffrey, 16, Camara, 15, Henry, 12.5. See what I mean? The Seahawks may have anticipated this because they got caught three, four years ago putting too many eggs in the basket of one running back. They had way too much invested, not just financially, in Marshawn Lynch, but they just didn't do a good enough job of kind of setting themselves up for his successor. They just didn't. They've set themselves up now so that while the rest of the league is scrambling to try and figure this out and while the players themselves are trying to figure this out, they're set. If you're one of those who leans on the side of you don't want them to invest a lot of capital in running backs and you're upset that they spent second round picks the last couple of years, I guess you can take some solace in this, knowing that next year they're not going to draft a running back. (laughs) They're just not. Not in the on day one or day two because Walker Charbonnet, McIntosh are going to make up the bulk of that room they're set for a while and they're setting because they're getting ahead of the curve now they're setting themselves up in such a way that if if all they if they never pay any of these players big second contracts they've kind of assured themselves of having dynamic talent in that running back room. It's an interesting situation. It really is. And it got more interesting this week because a bunch of these guys got together on a Zoom call. You may have read about this. Here's some of the names that got together on this call. Christian McCaffrey, Najee Harris, J.K. Dobbins, Nick Chubb, Derek Henry, Jonathan Taylor, Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, Aaron Jones, Tony Pollard, Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook was invited, couldn't attend. That's an interesting just imagining those guys all on a zoom call together talking about what to do. One interesting suggestion that was made this week uh, by an analyst uh, former NFL cornerback Dominique Foxworth was talking about maybe using the performance-based pay pool which amounts to millions of dollars as written into the into the CBA. That players that outperform their draft status uh, get part of this pool. Last year alone, uh, Reek Woolen finished eighth in the NFL, got an additional $742,000. That's a lot more than his rookie contract was paying him. Michael Jackson, same thing, finished 10th, $724,000 he got last year. Because number of snaps and how they performed outperformed their uh, contractual expectations. So Foxworth has proposed that maybe they take part of this pool and they devote it to running backs. Of the top 25 payouts last year on this performance-based pay scale to NFL players, not a single one of them was a running back. I don't know how that formula works. I don't know why a guy like Walker wouldn't have gotten a little bit more money or Damian Pierce. Not sure. Not sure how that would work and if, and what that would mean to other, other positions like are, how do the tight ends and wide receivers and, and edge rushers and linebackers and corners of the league feel about taking part of that pool and devoting it specifically to running backs? I don't know. That'd be an interesting, interesting thing. Like how much do you favor them? Sometimes it's kind of hard to sit on your couch and and see a guy like Saquon Barkley and say, okay, he'd rather sit at home and be fined than take 10 million guaranteed to play this year. I can see it from both sides. I can see it from the player standpoint. What if I go out and, and suffer a devastating injury and can never play football again? I'm not sure what the solution is here, and I'm not sure that there is one other than what the Seahawks are doing. Look, if you can't beat him, join him. Wait, if you can't join him, beat him. I'm not. <laughs> maybe I got that backwards. If the current way of doing it shows to have some inefficiencies built into it, then figure out another way. Maybe they've gotten out in front of that. They've done a similar thing, I think, with outside linebacker. Just a few years ago, they weren't willing to pay Frank Clark the going rate on the franchise tag and what he wanted for a long-term deal, which was going to push the $20 million a year mark. So they traded him to the chiefs that left them kind of behind the eight ball for a couple of years because they really struggled to find enough good edge rushers at a position where Pete Carroll always would say, you can never have enough. They didn't have enough, or you can never have too many. They didn't have enough. They've now gotten ahead of the curve on that one too by devoting a bunch consistently year in year out some draft resources and now they're four or five guys deep young guys at that position so they're not as dependent on one player and if some of those players blow up to the point that they're worth that franchise tag or they're they're worth on the free agent market one of those big contracts They've kind of layered the roster in that way so that they're set long term. They've certainly done that at running back now. And whether that was intentional because of what's happening with these salaries or not. I think they put themselves in a better position than anyone in the NFL. I think you'd be hard pressed to look at depth charts around the NFL right now and find a better, more dynamic, young, sustainable running back room that's set for success for the next three or four years where you don't have to worry about a single contract situation as the Seahawks have right now. Just wanted to get my thoughts on that. Um, as we head into training camp, it's going to be fun to watch that running back room in preseason. First of all, you always like to see a second year um, progression from a young player like Kenneth Walker. How much, if any, will they will they use him more in the passing game? Saw some positive signs late last year in that area. Saw some positive signs on him Uh, not wanting to bounce everything outside as much and being more of a north-south runner. I thought that really kind of changed the equation for him late in the year. Then you add a guy like Zach Charbonnet, who is a north-south runner, more of a big physical running back who can break tackles. And then a guy like Kenny McIntosh, who's accomplished in the passing game. Uh, can't wait to see it. It's going to be one of the most fun things about the preseason because all those guys should get snaps as opposed to some of the other positions that are going to be taken care of. Thanks again for listening at Seahawks Forever on Twitter. Please subscribe to the YouTube page so you get notification of new episodes. Uh, listen to my last episode with Brandon Schultz and Dana O'Gorman, uh, kind of a proper training camp preview there. Until next time, as always, forever and always, go Hawks!